Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it is almost here. Packers 49ers will be Sunday night, 7.20 p.m. Central Time kickoff from Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. Our final show of the week on Friday, and that means keys to victory for the Green Bay Packers. Where do you want to start with this one? Well, okay, so Matt, Mike Pettin had a great line when he was talking to reporters on Thursday evening, asked about all these injuries that the San Francisco 49ers have and basically how you game plan for it. He said you have to game plan for everything. You can't like allow yourself to not think that certain player is going to be there and then you're playing catch-up. you got to be able to scheme for everything. So George Kittle's probably the ultimate part of that, right? Yeah. Uh, Kittle had not practiced for two weeks, over two weeks, and then actually returned to practice on Thursday when the 49ers went into pads in a limited capacity. This guy's probably the best in the game right now. Matt LaFleur touched on it as well this week. You have to find a way to stop him. So I, I look at the San Francisco offense, and, and certainly Jimmy Garoppolo is a force to be feared. Uh, he showed he could win a football game when he needs to and the auxiliary parts are not there for him. But San Francisco, what they do well in these condensed formations is running the football and getting the ball to Kittle and the guys in the middle of the field. Those are the two outlets this defense has to shut down, and there's a lot of work to do for Green Bay. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to put that into practicality. They had some issues. They sat back. They looked at the explosive plays that they allowed during the bye week, yeah. and now they're trying to find some answers for it. This is as tough as a test as the Packers are going to get in terms of an offense that attacks the middle of the field, and they have to be ready for it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy with Jimmy Garoppolo coming off of a 400-yard, four-touchdown game to sit here and say the Packers need to put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, but I really think that's what they have to do because if, if you don't slow down this running game, and we'll see if Matt Breida is going to play or not, but even if he doesn't, you've still got Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert to deal with in the backfield. They, they've got multiple guys that they will go to regardless. I just think if, if the Packers cannot slow down the running game, it's not going to matter that much, the whole Garoppolo and Kittle and everything. And like I say, it sounds kind of crazy to say that because if George Kittle is back, Jimmy Garoppolo coming off of a 400-yard, four-touchdown game without a weapon like that, um, he obviously can be extremely dangerous in the passing game. But I think the Packers have to try to turn this into a passing game for the 49ers in order to beat them because if they pound away on the ground, I think it becomes a really, really long day for the Packers' well, defense. It's like a boxing match, right? Yeah. I mean, a guy might have a good uppercut, but if you got to watch out for their, their left hook, that's where you have to you know, neutralize that and then you know, hope you defend the rest of it well enough. That's what the 49ers present. They have a multiple different variations of how they can hurt you offensively. Garoppolo's a part of that and Kittle's a part of that. Yeah. But they can really do damage if they get that second rank run defense going early and often. They had to make some modifications here. Brita is a big part of their home run potential of that offense. Mostert has been a guy that has filled in there the last two years and done a nice job and kept himself in that rotation. Tevin Coleman is the guy that between the tackles will continue to punch you in the mouth every single play if you let him. Arizona sold out to a certain extent. They were fundamentally sound in how they were able to defend that running game the last two weeks. I think what Green Bay has to do is keep a similar mentality with that. And even if Garoppolo gets some yards, and I understand people want to give up 100 passing yards a game. I get it. <laughs> but 
if you put the ball out there, that puts the ball in jeopardy. It allows your playmakers and your ball hawks, ball hawks to potentially get a takeaway, a game-changing turnover. That's the area for success here because if they're looking at a bunch of second and favorable, third and favorables, that's when the teeth really start to show with Kittle. And with Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders in that passing game, that's where they can really hurt you. Yeah, well, turnovers will certainly be a factor here in this game as well. And as I said in Insider Inbox, I don't know if the Packers necessarily have to win the turnover battle in order to win the game, but I don't think they can lose the turnover battle. You at least have to be able to break even here and not give that 49er defense with the 22 takeaways a big edge, any kind of an edge really in the takeaway battle. Garoppolo has thrown 10 interceptions. As I say, if the Packers can put the ball in his hands, maybe you do get a, a pick, a deflected pass. I mean, something that can turn the tide there. What what are your thoughts on the whole turno, turnover equation heading into this one? you got to take care of business. And you're right. I, I don't know if it comes down to as, as simple as, okay, if the Packers win the turnover margin or they lose the turnover margin, that's going to be the difference in the ball game. These are two really good football teams. There's going to be a lot of things in play, time of possession, red zone offense, third down efficiency. All those things are going to weigh out to ultimately determine a victor in this game. But turnovers are huge. And San Francisco knows how to play through them, but they also generate a lot too defensively. They They get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and that allows those guys in the secondary to be able to take advantage of it. Richard Sherman, three interceptions this year, returning to form after some nasty and gnarly injuries the last few seasons. That's going to be a big battle against Devontae Adams. But for the Green Bay Packers, they do protect the ball pretty well, and they take it away. And if you can, you and I can discuss this, we can have a three-hour show where we talk about what the Packers have done right and what they've done wrong this season. The biggest area, number one, right at the top of the pyramid, is the fact that they've won those turnovers, and they've been able to maintain momentum and capitalize when they've gotten those takeaways. There has to be that element to this game. I don't care if it's five. I don't care if it's one. But you probably got to generate a touchdown off a takeaway here to be able to keep pace with what San Francisco offers. Yeah. Because they're o- not going to give you a lot of opportunities defensively. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I, I agree entirely. Offensively for the Packers, too, when you talk about a game you're going into thinking that against this defense you're only going to get so many shots. You're only going right. to get so many yeah. bites at the apple, so to speak. If the Packers are going to – clean up the penalties, the false starts, the delay of games, the holding penalties, the things that have that have set them back and prevented them from being as efficient offensively as I think we've seen that they can be. This is the game to do that because uh, um, it will opportunities will be difficult to come by. And if you get behind the chains against this defense, this pass rush, I mean, a, a pass rush that gets the job done with four, that doesn't have to send a whole lot of blitzes and whatnot, they can rush four and cover seven all night long against Aaron yeah, Rodgers. Right. They can make things difficult. So you don't want to, you can't turn your second and fours into second and nines with a false start, is what I'm saying, because that'll really, really cost you against this defense. Yeah, and, and that's what really sticks out to me in this game is that the areas where Green Bay has wanted to make improvements and where they need to make improvements in the second half of the season, all of them are going to be tested against San Francisco. When you look at how they can attack the middle of the field, when you look at how defensively they are able to get home with pressure and not having to send that extra man, even being able to keep guys back, play solid coverage, be up on their fundamentals, that's why San Francisco is where they is 
where they are, excuse me. There you go. Is where they is? Well, either way. Uh, and Matt LaFleur discussed it this week, too. They are a couple plays away from being a 10-0 football team going oh, yeah. into this thing. No question. They are dangerous, volatile, and they can find different ways to make you submit in certain ways. And I think that's why they've been able to win You know, the games that they have in these recent weeks when maybe they're giving up a few more points is because they're resilient enough to be able to find ways to do that. And that's actually a real testament to them. Because when you just are holding teams to low amount of points, few amount of yards, it's difficult when you start to give those up to be able to just find that calling card again and revert back to it. San Francisco's done that. And the other area that I'm very fascinated to watch how this thing plays out is that they just don't give the opposition a lot of free passes. Uh, whether it is the takeaways, whether it is the penalties. They play pretty clean football. For how many weeks did you hear me come on the show, Mike, and talk about them being the big fundamental? (laughs) And there were a lot of pundits out there, I'm not going to name names, that wanted to talk about the Saints. They wanted to talk about Seattle. They wanted to talk about these things. Everybody kind of just overlooks San Francisco for some reason, and I was sitting there going, guys, this team right now, now they might not have Drew Brees, they might not have these superstars that jump off the page of you, but Kind of like those early 2010s 49ers teams, they just got a bunch of guys that do their jobs really well. And that is what has put them in a position right now to be at the top spot in the NFC. Yeah, there are a lot of interesting matchups in this game as we look ahead to it. You already mentioned Devontae Adams against Richard Sherman. We're certainly going to see that a fair amount. David Bakhtiari will be against Nick Bosa. Um, the second go-round with, uh, with a Bosa brother for the Packers this season. Um, Joe Staley, if he plays for the 49ers, he is on the injury report, and also Mike McGlinchey, their other offensive tackle, those two guys against the Smiths Yeah, uh, you know, for the Packers on the edge. Um, is there one of those types of matchups in this game that uh, jumps off the page at you the most? Well, first off, it's definitely the left tackle situation for the 49ers. If you know, you're know you in a position where Staley's still not able to come back and he has not yet to return to practice here, well, then that becomes an area that you think you know Mike Pettin's going to look towards to yeah. potentially generate some pressure and opportunities. 18 and a half sacks for the Smiths coming into this game, and I'm sure – you know, not even just lining them up across from left tackle, but just being able to move those guys around and be unpredictable, that could be a big key for them. I also think it really does come down, if George Kittle's playing this game, how you defend him. Is that Ibrahim Campbell, who played 42 snaps against Carolina? Is he your best option there? Is it having Adrian Amos trail him a little bit? Is it a guy like Tremont Williams? And in certain situations, it's going to be the inside linebackers. Yeah. You have or, to be- are you, or are you flat out doubling George Kittle every time he's on the field and you're counting on Alexander and yep. King and Tremont Williams, for that matter, to match up one-on-one with Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel and whoever else is out there. Maybe that's the approach because because Kittle is just that dynamic. He changes, he changes games so much when he gets going. Well, he lulls you, right? I mean, the reason why he had as many yards as he did last year is because he's so darn effective and first and 10 and being able to to get the yardage and keep the chains moving but then every once in a while he breaks that big play yeah. that can be such a big difference and, and that's what stands out to me about this Kyle Shanahan offense bunch formations condensed formations motions misdirections things that challenge the communication of a defense and then oh by the way once the ball is actually snapped they have so many different guys with so many different skill sets that are going to stress you in split second decision situations where if you fall behind they're going to be able to get the necessary timing for Jimmy Garoppolo to get the ball out. So that that's the the area that I think Kittle has just been exceptional in. 
doesn't even really matter who the quarterback has been for San Francisco. <laughs> he still is just always accountable, always available. And yeah. the best friend, Mike, I don't care how good your receivers are. I don't care how good your running backs are. The best friend for a quarterback is a dynamic tight end that makes himself available in the middle of the field. You've seen it since the beginning of time with this league, ever since that, that position was created. You've seen it with this offense in particular when the tight ends get going. George Kittle is the guy. Yeah. He has been the guy for the last few seasons. And along with stopping the run and not allowing them to leak and get those extra yards and, and have the favorable down and distance, you have to find a way, regardless of who the player is or what number it gets you know, called upon, to be able to find a way to stop him. Yeah, well, as we've been talking about all week, this is a big one. The 49ers are 9-1. and one, The Packers are 8-2. and two. You look at what else is going on around the NFL in week Twelve, if I've got uh, that. The bye always messes you up. I know it does. I mean, in general, not not you, but in general. Yeah, well, it messes me up too. I'm getting (laughs) older, but the New Orleans Saints also eight and two. The Seattle Seahawks also eight and two. The Minnesota Vikings are eight and three. They are on their bye week, and the Vikings and the Viking fans will be sitting on their couches on Sunday night, hoping that they'll be going back to work on Monday in a tie for first place in the NFC North if the 49ers beat the Packers. The Packers, of course, trying to maintain that one-game lead on Minnesota in the division. The game that was flexed out of the Sunday night game, which uh, uh, as the Packers and 49ers took this slot, was Seattle on the road at Philadelphia. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles... You talk about a talented team that has had injuries and ups and downs and everything else. They they are five and five. They have looked like a five and five team. They've just they they've ridden the roller coaster yeah. all season long. But they're playing at home. We all know, you know, there are some strange statistics about West Coast teams playing in the Eastern time zone at that one o'clock Eastern because right. that's you know ten a.m. Pacific for a kickoff for those teams. So that'll be interesting here. And and the Seahawks are coming off of their bye, but they were in some dogfights the last couple of games before their bye. They had to go to overtime to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They went to overtime to beat the San Francisco 49ers. This is a really interesting game to me. Philadelphia wanting to try to keep pace with Dallas in the NFC East in a division race that's still very much up for grabs. And the Seahawks, much like the Vikings, they're going to be hoping that if they can get a win and the Packers get a win, then the Seahawks will would be in first place with the Niners in the NFC West. Kind of like with the Cardinals and what I was talking about this week. I mentioned it more in Inbox than I did on this show where the Cardinals are probably going to end up being a 7-9, 8-8 team that I want nothing to do with. <laughs> uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are one of those teams too because they can play with anybody in this league. And the, the tough thing is I think sometimes people have a hard time rationalizing this because there is only six playoff spots in each conference. Good teams can be 8-8. Eight and eight. Like you can actually be a good team that is eight and eight. Heck, maybe even seven and nine on occasion. Just when the ball doesn't bounce your certain way, or you just don't get up for certain games. Yeah, Philadelphia has sort of been one of those teams, and not just this year. The last couple seasons, you know, a team that's just always been hovering right around five hundred, but can play with the best of them. The two most compelling matchups for me, outside of obviously this game that did get flexed to Sunday Night Football, are. Seattle traveling to Philadelphia for the reasons that you outlined, and then also the Carolina Panthers having to go to the Superdome to face the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Both the Eagles and the Panthers are 5-5. Five and five. They are on the precipice here of trying to stay in the race for the playoffs. Yep, they're, and, and they're in danger in a, in a loaded NFC. They're in danger. You pick up your sixth loss 
before Thanksgiving, yeah. you're in danger of falling out of it entirely. Yeah, and you know, Mike McCarthy always talked about you need to be ten and six, and then you can start talking about playoffs. And in order to be able to be contend and actually be a legitimate playoff team, you have to beat teams that are not only seeming destined for the playoffs, but teams that are going to contend for a Super Bowl here. They're going to contend for an NFC championship. Mm -hmm. They're going to make that push once the calendar turns to 2020. So for Philadelphia, this is a gut check. It's a gut check for Carson Wentz. Can he be the quarterback week in and week out that they need him to be? You know, what is their identity running the ball? Is it Jordan Howard? Is Jordan Howard going to be available? I mean, like, there's all these different things that they have to check off because while they are talented, it just always seems like they've just come up one or two plays short from being the team that I think everybody expected them to be. I, Me personally, going into the year, I thought with Carson Wentz back, this is going to be the champion of that division. I don't care. You know, there was all the, the mess and situations and talk and what was going on in Dallas and Zeke Elliott was even going to play. When, when, when we saw the changed. Eagles at Lambeau Field in week four, and again, this is the Eagles riding the roller coaster, they looked to me like they would win the NFC East yeah. in week four. I, th- I thought, you know, okay, this team, this team is going to put it together. They're going to get rolling. It hasn't happened. Now, it hasn't happened for the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East either. They are six and four. They have to go on the That's road. That's the thing. They yeah. have to go on the road to New England. So if you're the Eagles here, you, you look at this you look at this and go, okay, we're five and five after ten games. We don't really like where we are, but hey, you know what? If we can win at home against a playoff contender in Seattle, and if the Cowboys go out to Foxborough and get beat, you're sitting there tied six and five with the Dallas Cowboys for the lead in the NFC East with five games to go, and they have one more head-to-head matchup coming up later yeah. this season as well. So, um, for all of the ups and downs that the Eagles have gone through, they are absolutely right in this thing, especially if they can get a win over Seattle. And there's another truth. The reality is there's a very good chance that that team that wins that division could very well end up being 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Yep. So you got to keep yourself in that But if hunt. they do, whoever it is, you get a home game in the playoffs because you're a division champ, absolutely. right? So, I mean, was it the 2009 the, are, Seattle Seahawks with the 6-10 and 10 record or whatever it was? 7-9, seven, seven seven and and yes. Yeah, they were 7-9, they were and nine and they beat the, uh, they beat the New New Orleans Saints. Just and, get in. Uh, yep. Yeah. Just no, get but in. you never know. Th- that's what makes this week so interesting, though, because yeah. there are a lot of bad football games, but there's really like five or six that have just these incredible implications for the rest of the season. When we talked about the Panthers trying to stay within arm's reach of the Saints as they run away with that division, you got the Jaguars and the Titans both hovering around 500. They're trying to, you know, take something with this. The Oakland Raiders need to beat the New York Jets here. To be seven and four. Yeah, the Oakland Raiders could be seven and four after this And they this need to week. beat the New York Jets, who suddenly started winning some football games. And then finally, again, where this thing just keeps getting more and more difficult for the L.A. Rams, <laughs> you know, you got Seattle, you have San Francisco. In order to avoid six and four, you have to beat the hottest team in the NFL in the Baltimore Ravens. Good luck. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's that's an interesting one. Baltimore traveling cross country out to L.A. to play the Rams. The Rams coming off of a victory over the Chicago Bears, but a victory that a lot of people said, you know, you didn't really look all that good. You yeah. got the win, yeah, but you know, this Baltimore Ravens team coming in very different offense than the one that the Rams faced with uh, Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. So that's an intriguing one. And for anyone out there in the uh, nation's capital, I hear Lions Redskins. You can get tickets on the secondary market for like five bucks for that game. For real? Yeah, that's what I heard. So man, <laughs> I'll that's, just throw uh, that out there. Not that that's a great note to close on. That but, thing with Washington right now, yeah, man. That's with uh, Washington that's a rough with, situation. De- with Detroit having their backup quarterback, and I mean it's that that's uh, 
that's one of those that's uh, that's down on the list you know, this week. As you said, it's sort of a it's a slate of uh, you got a handful of games that it seems like nobody's really going to care about, but then you got a handful of games that are really really intriguing on the schedule. <laughs> it is funny though. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to zero and ten Cincinnati. Yeah, Dolphins are playing the Browns. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, the Bears. They, Thrillsville. The Bears going to face the New York Giants. Yeah, so yeah, Bears, it's just Bears a lot of things that make you just kind of be like, okay, but then those five other games, man. It's almost playoff season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and all of the happenings in the big Sunday night football matchup, Packers 49ers, on Sunday night from Santa Clara. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and please check out the new Packers YouTube channel. All kinds of great video content out there on YouTube from Packers.com. Thank you for watching, everybody. We will see you next time.